Science, Earth Science, Astronomy. Today, we're traveling to Pluto, coming up in just a little bit. And periodically, interesting off-topic episodes, most of which will occur on Open Line Friday. I'm your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz Podcast, Andre Bernier. I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. This is episode number 332 for Wednesday, May 25, 2022. And once more, I carry over from Monday's episode a special thanks to my brand new supporters, Neil and Don Manasa from Virginia. They're the latest addition in my supporters, and you can become one of those supporters very easily by clicking on the supporters tab at the top of weatherjazz.com and join the growing list. And uh, just a reminder, Neil was a recent guest and talking about bees. He now has four hives. And I would imagine that we'll have Neil back on in the near future to see how those hives are doing. Well, today is Wednesday, Science Wednesday. We will be momentarily visiting our ninth planet in the solar system. You heard me right. And for those of you that are longtime listeners of Weather Jazz, know full well that when you enter into our home, if you even think about calling Pluto a subplanet, oh, you've got uh, one thing coming to you. You're going to be hit from all angles of every member of our house saying, it's a planet. It's a quirky one. It's a strange one, yes, but it is a planet. And again, that's coming up in just a little bit. But before we take a break, I am going to post a beautiful photo from Weather Jazz friend and my college classmate from Decades gone by, Jonathan Talbot. Now, Jonathan was a hurricane hunter for decades and in his retirement in Alabama has a real interesting hobby, and that is astrophotography. He's very, very good at it. And we had him on the program several times, most recently talking about how to get started in astrophotography. And really, it's quite easy. If you have any interest, go back a number of episodes now and you'll eventually come to it. At any rate, the reason I bring him up is I will be posting one of his most recent photos from Facebook and Instagram 
to weatherjazz.com. And that'll be episode number 332. Now, Jonathan regularly posts some beautiful photographs that he takes. And this one caught my attention. He posted that this week. Let me read to you a little bit about what you're going to be seeing. It's a planetary nebula called Abel 34. And it looks like a bubble, the kind of soap bubbles that kids used to blow out on the patio outside on a warm summer day. Check it out. Not only is the photo there, but you'll also see a link to his website, starscapeimaging.com, if you want the highest resolution of any of the photographs that he has taken. I'll tell you what, they'll make great screensavers for your computer just in case you're looking for something really, really different. Great stuff. Okay, we're going to take a short break right here. When we come back, we will continue our series on the solar system and our next object of interest, the planet Pluto. Well, before we get going today on Pluto, the ninth planet in our solar system, let me take a a quick moment just to let you know that on Friday at 11.30 a.m., I will be doing a live Facebook video right here from the Weather Jazz Studios, and it's going to be your opportunity to jump in and to ask me questions, whether they're questions of science and weather or astronomy or personal or Maybe you're wondering what someone is like at Fox 8. I've got a great group of coworkers, by the way. And I'll be doing that on the Fox 8 Weather Facebook page. We have hundreds of thousands of people who follow the page. And we're hoping to get a good crowd. Now, I know it's right around the lunch hour. And some of you might not be able to join me for that. But last week, we were able to make do with about three dozen or so of you. And I'm hoping to grow that audience once we get the word out that I'm out there live. And you can use the comment section to have a conversation with me, ask questions, and basically have a little bit of fun. We'll see what we end up with on Friday, Open Line Friday. Again, that is on the Fox 8 Weather Facebook page, not the Fox 8 page, not the news side. We have our own separate page. Make sure you follow that and click on the follow tab so that when we do go live and you're on Facebook, you'll get an instant notification that we are going live and perhaps you can join us. And one more note before we head to Pluto is recently I received my copy of Alex Price's book, Never Give Up. I'll show it to you when we go live on Friday. Can't wait to start it. I'm finishing up another book right now and hoping to start this one. I've scanned it real quick and it looks fascinating. Alex, job well done. And you can find a link for Alex's book at a previous episode. I think it's episode 330, which would be Friday's open line segment right here on weatherjazz.com. Okay, it's time to dig into the world, the outer portion of the solar system, right on the edge of the Kuiper Belt, which is something that we will cover next Wednesday. But the planet is Pluto. 
Pluto is the ninth planet in the solar system. And yeah, it's pretty small. And yes, it's a part of the Kuiper Belt, a ring of bodies beyond the orbit of Neptune. It was first discovered in the Kuiper Belt and the first discovered object in the Kuiper Belt. It remains the largest known body in that area. And after Pluto was discovered in 1930, it was declared the ninth planet from the sun. Now, here's where some of the controversy begins. Beginning in the late 1990s and early 2000s, its status as a planet was actually questioned following the discovery of several objects of similar size in the Kuiper Belt. And the scattered disk, including the dwarf planets, Eris, led the International Astronomical Union in 2006, and Noah was almost 10 years old, to define the planet formally. And I guess they never really had done that before, never had any reason to put that formal definition out there. But of course, with any kind of formality, you get controversy. And that led to the at least there, excluding Pluto and reclassifying it as a dwarf planet. I am still calling it the ninth planet. It is the ninth largest, meaning it's the smallest of all of the planets, and tenth most massive known object directly orbiting the sun. Pluto is primarily made of ice and rock and is relatively small, about one-sixth the mass of the moon, and about one-third its volume. Now, the orbit of Pluto, rather eccentric. In fact, it varies dependent on where it is in its orbit, anywhere from 4.5 to 7.3 billion kilometers, or if you want that in miles, 2.8 billion miles to 4.6 billion miles away from the sun. Now, that's a lot of difference Therefore, when you consider the fact that it is highly eccentric, Pluto periodically actually comes closer to the sun than Neptune. However, the good news for those of you really concerned about a collision with Neptune, it has a very, very stable resonance with Neptune, and that essentially prevents it from colliding into Neptune even when you take its orbit and you project it forward, going backward, any which way, it just never comes close to any kind of collision. Now, the light from the sun takes 5.5 hours to reach Pluto at its average distance. Does Pluto have moons? And the answer is yes. Actually, Pluto has five known moons. As small as Pluto is, it still has a couple of objects that go around Pluto. The largest in diameter is just over half of that of Pluto, and its name is Charon. And in addition to Charon, there is Styx, Nix, Kerberos, and Hydra. And the reason we know a little bit more about Pluto, at least in the recent decade, is that there was a probe that flew by Pluto. That was on July 14th, 2015, really not too long ago, in the last decade. The probe's name was New Horizons, and it became the first and, to date, the only spacecraft to fly by 
Pluto. Now, before Pluto was ever discovered, that was, again, 1930, in the 1840s, there was a gentleman who used Newtonian mechanics to try to predict the position of the then undiscovered planet beyond Neptune, which a lot of astronomers began to dub Planet X. Well, in 1906, a gentleman by the name of Percival Lowell, he was a wealthy Bostonian who had founded the Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona, and in 1894 started a rather extensive project in search for this so-called Planet X. And by 1909, Lowell and William H. Pickering had suggested several possible celestial coordinates for this planet. However, Lowell and his observatory conducted the research all the way to his death and in 1916 did not find the planet X. But now here's kind of an interesting twist of fate. Unknown to Lowell, his surveys had actually captured two faint images of Pluto on March 19th and April 7th, 1915. However, they were not yet recognized for what they were, which was Pluto. How about that? Now, the name Pluto, that has an interesting entomology and genesis as its name. You see, the name Pluto was named after the Greek and Roman god of the underworld, and it was actually proposed by an 11-year-old schoolgirl from Oxford, England, who was interested in classical mythology. And she suggested that in a conversation with her grandfather, and the grandfather's name was Falconer, a former librarian at the University of Oxford's library. Now, he then took his granddaughter's suggestion and passed on the name to the astronomy professor, Herbert Hall Turner, who then cabled it to the colleagues in the United States. And they thought, hey, I think we have something here. So it was this 11-year-old schoolgirl in Oxford, England, that actually named our ninth planet. And as Paul Harvey used to say, if I may borrow his term, and now you know the rest of the story. I love that. But before we conclude this program, I've got a little bit more on Pluto, the rotation Pluto's rotation period, its day in other words, is equal to about six and a half Earth days or so. However, Pluto rotates on its side in the orbital plane with an axial tilt of 120 degrees. And a couple of planets have that very strange, quirky attribute to it. So its seasonal variation is rather extreme. And just like the other planets that have the same strange side tilt, its solstices, well, it means that one-fourth of its surface is in continuous daylight and the other fourth in total darkness. Now, if it was at 90 degrees, it would be half, half and half, but it's at 120-degree tilt. What about the surface? Well, the planes on Pluto's surface are pretty much composed of 98% nitrogen ice, Remember, because of the distance between Pluto and the sun, it's cold. So nitrogen ice is something that is easily found there, along with traces of methane, 
and carbon monoxide, all in the solid state. The mountains are actually made of water ice, and Pluto's surface is quite varied with large differences in both brightness and in color, too. I'll post some pictures at weatherjazz.com of that attribute. You'll see it looks like, um, well, shall we say a marble with uh, different colors, different brightnesses. Pluto's surface is very large differences in both brightness and color, as I mentioned. Pluto is one of the most contrastive bodies in the solar system. Now, the color varies anywhere from charcoal black to dark orange to a brighter orange to white. So there's a big, big, big difference. Does Pluto have a magnetic field? The answer, no, not at all. How do we know that? That's the probe New Horizons, which assessed the planet from a magnetism standpoint and found absolutely no magnetic field. Fascinating. A couple more interesting things about Pluto as we wrap up. Pluto's visual apparent magnitude. Remember, magnitude, the higher the number, the dimmer it gets. And our eye sees magnitude 6 and lower. The lower the number, and even going into the negatives, the brighter the object is. So if you have a magnitude over 6, unless you have some kind of help, like a telescope or a pair of binoculars, you're not going to see it. So Pluto's apparent magnitude from Earth averages about, get this, 15.1. That is very, very dim. It does brighten to about 13.65 when it's closest to the Earth. However, it can go a lot higher than 15 when it's very, very far away from the Earth in its, in its highly eccentric orbit. And we'll cover one more thing about Pluto, its atmosphere. Does it have one? Well, yes, but it is very tenuous. It consists of nitrogen, methane, and carbon monoxide, which are in equilibrium with their ices on Pluto's surface. Now, if you want to check out what that atmosphere looks like, New Horizons actually saw what it looked like when the sun was hidden by Pluto so that the sun was actually illuminating to a very, very modest degree that very tenuous atmosphere. According to the measurements, by the way, of New Horizons, the only probe to ever visit Pluto, not quite 10 years ago, the surface pressure is about one pascal, or roughly one millionth times less than Earth's atmospheric pressure. So you see there's Very, very little atmosphere. But to say that there's none would also be incorrect. Now, does that atmosphere change any in its orbit when it's closer to the sun versus farthest away? Well, according to New Horizons data and the ground-based occultations, it shows that Pluto's atmospheric density increases and that it is likely going to remain in the gaseous state throughout Pluto's orbit as tenuous as it is. And there you have it, our trip to Pluto on this Science Wednesday. We still have a couple more objects to go. We're going to go to the Kuiper Belt. We'll talk about the Oort Cloud, and we'll take a strong look at the Sun and Earth, too. And maybe we'll have Jay Reynolds or another astronomer come on by and 
help us to make sense of these objects. They are very complicated. We know a lot more about the sun, and certainly we know a lot more about Earth. But there's still plenty to learn, as I have often said, and I'll continue to say it. The more we find out about things, the more we really understand how little it is that we truly know. I think we'll be discovering things for millennia. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode about Pluto. Help me to spread the word about this podcast inside your sphere of influence on social media, by word of mouth, email, however it is you communicate with folks. And remember that on Friday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, remember if you're outside of that time zone to make the conversion, I will be making an appearance on the Fox 8 Weather Facebook page. And it's there that we will record the Q&A portion of Weather Jazz. And I will also, just like last week, post the video on weatherjazz.com so you can actually watch it if you'd like. In the meantime, do you have a question or a topic suggestion or you just want to say hello? Please reach out. The Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line is available 24-7. The number 234-525-5888, 234-525-5888, or you can email me, weatherjazz at yahoo.com. You can also quickly retrieve both of those ways on weatherjazz.com by clicking on the Contacts tab at the very, very top. Open Line Friday, your questions and answers live. One more time on the Fox 8 Weather Facebook page. I will provide a link on weatherjazz.com this episode as we prepare for that live segment on Open Line Friday. We'll see you then. Have a great rest of your week. Weather and science across the globe. Weather Jazz Podcast.